Thank you, worship team. Good morning. My name is Corey Ogborn. I'm the director of missions and young adults. And in the first service, at the beginning of worship, I was struck by something that I want to share with you today. It's not in my notes. It's not a part of what I'm talking about this morning, but it really struck me. Um, seeing Christy Blattner and Paul Olson up here, because when I came to the church in 1992, I believe they were leading worship and very involved. And I realized, I said that in the first service, and I realized saying that in the first service, it kind of maybe ages us a little bit. Um, That's not what I meant to do. Christy looks wonderful. She looks very young, as young as the day that I first came to Grace. Paul and I have aged a little bit, but... um, (laughs) They're doing good. They're, they're serving God and have been for many, many years. And sometimes I think we, we overlook that or we you know, just bypass that in our daily lives. So if you get a chance to thank somebody or appreciate somebody that you've served with for many years, I challenge you to do that because sometimes we take that for granted. A lot has happened since last time I was up here in November. I feel like I need to update you a little bit on some things. First of all, um, President Kirkman was shot. couple of responses to that. Those who are into designated survivor, they're dialed in. They know what happened. They're laughing. Um, They're ecstatic. There are people who don't watch designated survivor, could care less. And so they're thinking, oh. So the first response, you know, the laughter. The second response is, oh. And then there's a third response in the room. And the third response is sheer terror on faces of people who haven't started watching this season yet because that was a cliffhanger, and I just gave a spoiler, and I didn't yell spoiler alert and allow you to cover your ears. So, yeah, President Kirkman was shot. Other things have happened. Ozzy is back on Survivor. Um, Survivor fans, that's for you. I feel like I need to update you on pop culture a little bit, so here goes. Um, In in my personal life, a lot has happened. Uh, I don't know. You guys probably don't know this, because I haven't really talked about it that much, but um, we got a new dog. Yeah, yeah. People are laughing because if you follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, you know all about our new dog, right? Three pictures a day. Some people have stopped being um, my friend on Instagram because they got tired of seeing Walter's picture on there every day. We will forever, this is a new moment for us, we will forever divide our lives into two phases of our lives. There is life before the pug and life after the pug. So that is a defining moment in our lives. So that's a lot of fun. His name is Walter Elias Pismo Ogborn. (laughs) Yes, Walter Elias after Walter Elias Disney. And I feel like I've spoken enough about Disney in the past. I won't bring that up this morning. Um, Also, this week, just this week, uh, on Thursday, Wednesday, let's go back to Wednesday, sorry. Wednesday, uh, Pastor John had uh, the site of a couple procedures drained. For those of you who don't know, he had a couple lymph nodes removed and he had that site drained on Wednesday, and they wrapped him up really tightly. And he came in on Wednesday, and he was really uncomfortable. And he's also preparing for Annette Skagg's funeral, which is tomorrow, and he had this morning. And, and so I was a little bit worried about him. And so I sent him an email, and the email said, Dear John, it's not that kind of letter. I just realized, but that's what the email said. I know you're itching to get back to it, but if something should come up, if there's an emergency this weekend, know that I would be happy to fill in. I've done some study of of grace in Ephesians for our winter weekend away for our satellite, 
Um, our young adults group, we went away to the beach for a weekend. That's our winter camp. No snow. It's perfect for me. And I had done some studies, and so I thought, oh, if, if need be, I could fill in for him. Five minutes passed, and he was in my office, and he said, what you have given me is a gift. <laughs> and that is why I'm here today. Um, he's focusing, like I said, on Annette Skagg's funeral and getting well, and your continued prayers are very much appreciated by him, I know. So we're talking about grace this morning. Grace changes us daily for a lifetime. If you're taking notes, that's in there. Grace changes us daily for a lifetime. Ephesians 1, 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul frequently opened his letters with his desire that his readers experience these twin blessings, grace and peace. And this morning, I want to start or perhaps continue a conversation about grace. <clears throat> at a comparative religions conference at Oxford University, the wise and the scholarly were in a spirited debate about what is unique about Christianity. Someone suggested that what set Christianity apart from other religions was the incarnation, but it was pointed out that this is found in some other religions too. Another suggestion was the resurrection, but it was again pointed out that some other religions have accounts of people returning from the dead. Then, as the story is told, C.S. Lewis, the famous 20th century Oxford Christian apologist, walked into the room. He walked in a little early for his presentation, and after hearing a little bit of the debate, he asked, what's all the rumpus about? We're debating what's unique about Christianity, was the response. Oh, that's easy, answered Lewis. It's grace. Lewis continued by pointing out that only Christianity claims God's love comes free of charge, no strings attached. No other religion can make that claim. Buddhists follow an eightfold path to enlightenment. It's not free at all. Hindus believe in karma, that your actions in this life determine your next life, what will happen in your next life. Jews believe that one must keep God's law to be acceptable to God. In Islam, one must do certain things or actions to appease Allah, who is not a God of love. Only Christianity posits a God who loves mankind unconditionally, so much so that he devised a plan to provide salvation as a totally free gift that merely has to be accepted by faith, plus nothing and minus nothing. Grace is the distinctive of Christianity, and so we need to understand it. The word grace is a very important and a precious word in a Christian's vocabulary. Think of the many songs that have been written about grace. Old standards that include amazing grace, wonderful grace of Jesus, grace greater than our sin, and only a sinner saved by grace. Contemporary songs. Contemporary songs that also exalt God's grace through song, such as Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, Your Grace Is Enough, and Grace Alone. The Greek scholar, and I'm probably going to butcher his name because I don't speak Greek, I don't know how to pronounce his name, the Greek scholar 
the great Greek scholar Kenneth Wust says, it is hardly too much to say that the mind of God has in no word uttered itself and all that was in his heart more distinctly than in his word, in this word grace. So what is grace? Well, it depends upon the context in which the word is used. The Bible actually uses the word grace in three distinct ways in the New Testament. And so we're going to examine those this morning. First, if you're taking notes, you can fill this in. The Bible speaks of saving grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Everything about this passage of Scripture drips of grace. The Greek word for grace again, I don't speak Greek, so I will probably butcher this, is charis. In classical Greek, charis meant a favor freely done without claim or expectation of return. The ancient Greeks used charis as a favor that was always bestowed upon a friend and never an enemy. And right there, charis leaps an infinite distance from the Greeks. For God gave his son for his enemies. Jesus died for his enemies. And that was a thing that was unheard of before. So biblically speaking, saving grace may be defined as the action whereby God freely gives to unworthy, willing recipients that which they do not deserve, you and me. Grace is nicely expressed in a well-known acrostic of the word, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Why do we need God's grace? And how did God's provision of it come about? Paul explains this in Ephesians 2 very nicely. But to understand the scripture we just read, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we'll have to take a quick peek at the verses before it. Verses 1 through 3 describe the reason we need to be saved to begin with. Paul explains how we were dead in trespasses and sins against God, and we walked according to the course of this world and Satan, and fulfilled the desires of our flesh and mind. And were by nature the children of wrath. That is, we were destined for God's judgment of our sin. But verse 7 tells us that God showed the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness to us through Jesus Christ. You know the story. Jesus, Son of God, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins in our place, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father. While on the cross, God poured out his judgment on Jesus for our sin so that it was punished in Jesus instead of us, having to pay the penalty ourselves. It's an important message. So then we come to verses 8 and 9, where Paul makes it clear that on the basis of what Christ did on the cross, our salvation is a free gift, and there is nothing, nothing, we could ever do in the way of works or good deeds or religious activity that could appease God's wrath against our sin. His wrath has already been appeased by the sacrifice of Christ for the sins of every person, you and me. We can only be saved by accepting God's free gift of salvation through faith. And through faith in what? Jesus answered that question many times in his earthly ministry. Perhaps the greatest expression of his answer is found in the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
If you would simply believe Jesus' promise and trust in Jesus instead of trusting in your works or your religious duties, you have the solemn promise of Jesus, God's Son, who, as God, cannot lie, that you will have everlasting life. And in the process, God will take your life and clean it up and give you the Holy Spirit to, to guide you into righteous living. Story time. In the early 20th century, a minister named Harry Morehouse was walking in a poorer section of the city where he lived. And he watched as a boy of five or six came out of a store carrying a pitcher, pitcher of milk. The little boy made his way carefully along the street. And then he slipped and fell. The pitcher broke and the milk ran all over the sidewalk. And the boy let out a wail. The, and Morehouse rushed to see if he was hurt. There was no physical damage, but the youngster wouldn't be consoled and kept crying repeatedly, Mama's going to whip me. Mama's going to whip me. Mama's going to whip me. And I can imagine how this little boy felt because I grew up in a time where that was a real fear and that happened. And when I did something wrong and I knew it, the moment I, I realized I did something wrong and my mother knew it until the moment she spanked me was worse than the spanking itself. The fear so I understand this little boy's fear. Mama's going to whip me. Mama's going to whip me. Morehouse said to him, maybe the pitcher isn't broken in too many pieces. Let's see if we can put it together again. And the boy stopped crying at once. And after buying some glue, he watched Morehouse start gluing the pitcher back together. There were one or two failures along the way, and the boy started wailing again. But the pastor was able to, to calm him down. Finally, the whole pitcher was complete, except for the handle. And then Morehouse handed the finished pitcher to the little fellow. But within just a few steps, you guessed it. The boy knocked the whole thing apart once more. This time, there was no stopping his tears. So Morehouse gathered the boy in his arms, walked down the street to a nearby store, and he bought a new pitcher. Then he and the boy returned to the grocery store and had the pitcher washed and filled with milk. He carried the boy on one arm and balanced, balanced the pitcher of milk in the other hand until they arrived at the boy's home. Very gently, he deposited the little boy on his front steps, put the pitcher carefully into his hands, and asked, Now will your mama whip you? A smile broke across his dirty little face. Oh, no, sir, because it's a lot better pitcher than we had before. <laughs> Listen, if you've never been saved, the pitcher of your life and its milk of your goodness have been spilled and broken beyond regathering, and you stand ready for a whipping from God, for Hebrews 9.27 says this, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You, have made, you may have spent much time trying to patch the pieces of your life together. But God assures you that you are broken beyond repair. But praise God, the Lord Jesus has intervened to save you. And he waits. He waits for you to come to the place where you realize it's impossible for you alone to repair your life in a way that would ever satisfy the perfect holiness of God. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to give you an entirely new picture. That is, a whole new nature, a new life, one better than the old one. And then he wants to fill the picture of your new life with forgiveness of sin and a home in heaven. A family called the church that will love you and nurture you and help, you, help to give you a sense of belonging. And finally, Jesus wants to carry you in safety in his strong arms all the way to the Father. 
These are God's riches at Christ's expense. All free, all because of God's amazing grace. Friends, friends that are like family, that's grace. Marvelous, wondrous, matchless, free grace. But there is one thing that he will not do. He will not force his grace upon you. You must see the need for God's provision because of your sin before God. And you must abandon all hope of salvation in any works or goodness in you. And you must come to God in humble trust in what Jesus did on the cross for you at Calvary. As Paul said in Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I urge you to turn to Christ today. Today, avail yourself of the grace of God before it is everlastingly too late. The second way the Bible uses the word grace is what we might call sustaining grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And Paul doesn't tell us in this passage what his thorn in the flesh was, but by definition, a thorn in the flesh is something painful or uncomfortable that goes on and on. Perhaps it was trials and persecutions that Paul bore. For he says in verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Many expositors believe that Paul's thorn in the flesh was a painful and grotesque eye condition that plagued him in the latter years of his life. And some others believe it was a crippled hand or arm but it was a physical thorn in the flesh. And we don't know for sure what it was, but it was something bad enough that Paul pleaded three times with God or for God to lift him from it. But instead, God chose not to heal him. God's only answer to Paul was the answer he gives us a lot. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul's response, and it should be our response, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, this is God's sustaining grace. God's sustaining grace may be defined as the power and strength to persevere and overcome trials and difficulties. As I've mentioned, I came to grace in 1992, and over the years I've seen a lot of you go through many trials and tribulations and difficulties, and I've watched as grace worked in your life, and now you look back on those things and you say, God's grace is sufficient for me. That's a testimony to God's grace. How many times have I myself been in the very valley of despair, facing some sort of trial or obstacle to my comfort or opposition, and I didn't think I could bear it any longer. My cross seemed too heavy to bear. I begged the Lord to take it away, to deliver me from it. I would say to the Lord, like the psalmist, Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I wander 
I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. And if you want to take that with you, it's Psalm 55, 5 through 8. But instead of deliverance, the Lord reminded me, my grace is sufficient for you. And you know what? As many of you have been the testimony to me, God's grace is sufficient. Somehow God strengthens his people with grace in the midst of their most horrible trials. Somehow we overcome. Somehow we're compelled to go on, to not give up, to trust the Lord despite the struggles. Where do we get the power to do that? From the reservoir of God's sustaining grace. And everyone who has gone through these times of despair and trouble can testify at the end of it that God's grace is the only thing that got them through it. Finally, there seems to be a third way the Bible uses the word grace, and it's what we might call sanctifying grace. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says this, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Grace in this aspect may be defined as the desire, will, and power to do God's will. Paul is saying here that what he has achieved in his Christian life was not by his own power, but the grace of God that was working in him. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you either desire to do God's will, and if you ever do God's will, it is because of God giving you those desires and the power to act upon those desires. These scriptures teach us that God operates in us, and it is through his grace that we function in the Christian life if we let him. God commands us to love him. Then he gives us the grace to love him, that is, the will, power, and desire to love him. He commands us to serve him, and then he gives us the grace to serve him. He commands us to live holy before him, and then he gives us the grace to be holy. He, become, he commands us to love one another. Then he gives us the grace to love one another. And sometimes people delay trusting in Christ because they don't think they can live the Christian life. They're right. They can't live the Christian life. We can't live the Christian life. Not by ourselves, but by God's grace. They can. We can. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, in Philippians 4.13. That is, with God's grace operating in my life, I can do all things. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I love that passage of Scripture. I carry it with me a lot. It was given to me early, early on coming to grace, and I've just held it very, very dear. I would challenge you to write that down, Galatians 2.20, to write it on a sticky note and put it on your steering wheel or put it on the mirror where you get ready in the morning and be reminded daily. Even insert your own name, possibly. I sometimes do. Corey has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Corey who lives, but Christ who lives in Corey. And the life Corey now lives in the flesh 
Corey lives by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself up for him. Personalize it. And remember, I believe that Pastor John said it in a sermon a few weeks ago, or, or maybe it was in my office. I'm not sure which. If he didn't say it in here, he should have because it's great stuff. Sanctification isn't the absence of sin in our lives. It is the ever-increasing presence of love. Sanctification isn't the absence of sin in our lives. It is the ever-increasing presence of love. That's good news for you and me. Because on this journey to become holy, sanctification, it means that we don't have to be perfect to be sanctified. We don't have to be free from sin to be sanctified, to accept the sanctification of grace. It just means that we have to be willing to love people more, to allow love to come more into our lives and become more important to us. We need to grow in love. I have that written on my bulletin board in my office. It's that important to me personally. Praise God for the wonderful grace of Jesus. So if you're not saved this morning, I urge you to accept God's free gift of grace. What a tragedy it would be to throw away something obtained at such great cost, but free to you. There are a lot of things in life that people are going to tell you are free. We hear a lot of talk about free health care and free education. And unless the doctors are working for free or those teachers are working for free, that's not going to happen. But grace, my friends, God's grace, completely free. doesn't cost you a thing. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Later he says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant, that means insulted, by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace, Hebrews 10.29. Dear sinner, don't trod underfoot the Son of God who died for you. Don't discount the blood of Christ shed for you. Do not insult the spirit of grace working in you and wooing you to himself. Come to Jesus and be saved today. If you're in this room and you don't know what all of this talk is, after the service this morning, we're going to have some people up front, some leadership from the church, elders, deacons, pastors, and their wives will be up here to pray with you, to answer your questions. Don't leave here today and enjoy lunch without knowing God's favor. Don't leave here today without God's grace acting, active in your life. Lunch will be a feast, trust me, as you rejoice what you've done up here this morning. So at the end of service, come forward. At least come forward and talk to somebody about it, even if you don't make the decision today if you're not ready. At the end of service, come forward. If you're saved already, God's grace ought to produce three responses from you. First, Such wonderful, undeserved grace wrought at such great sacrifice by our Lord ought to compel you to surrender wholly to God. Is there some area you should surrender to Christ today? Is there some sin that you need to confess this morning? My question to you is, are you right with God? If not, why not make things right today? Those people who will be up here at the end of service, they're here for you too. If there's something you need to talk to them about, a burden that you need to share, something that you need to turn over to God today, they can help you with that. And maybe you don't want to do that with somebody. Maybe you're not prepared here this morning to confess that to somebody, to a brother or sister in Christ. 
but you want to talk to God, come forward, kneel at the steps, pray, leave that burden there for him. And he will appoint people to tend to your needs. You'll be surprised. But don't leave here today without getting right with God. Second, when we ponder the incredible grace of God, it ought to motivate us to work and labor for such a giving, gracious Lord. What are your works and labors for God? I'm going to promote it because it's already been promoted here this morning, but the all-church workday, it's physical labor, but it is a great opportunity for you to come and serve God by serving the body of Christ here at Grace Community Church. I've walked through the church. I've seen the projects that need to be done, the bathrooms that need just a little extra attention, the children's wing that needs a little bit of work. You can take some ownership on that all-church workday and come and serve in an area that's precious to you, that means a lot to you. Are your children in the nursery? Go clean up the nursery. You're the beneficiary of that. But God, through your service, will be blessed, will be glorified. We should serve God. Children's ministry, junior high ministry, high school ministry, our young adults, our women's ministry, our adult, our men's ministry, our adult ministries, Um, I think of security around the campus. There's a number of ways for you to serve. I know it's easy to go home and sit in your comfortable chair. Trust me, I know that because I have a comfortable chair that I sit in. And it is really good to sit in that chair. And yet there's more work to be done for the kingdom. Maybe it's somebody sitting next to you this morning that needs Jesus. They need to hear the gospel message. The harvest is here and the harvest is plenty. Be a part of the harvest. Serve God by being a part of the harvest. Get involved. Talk to the person sitting next to you. Talk to your neighbor. Talk to your coworker. Talk to the person in line behind you at the grocery store. Captive audience. I've said it before in here. Captive audience. They're in line. They're not going to get out of line if they think you're crazy. They're just going to smile and nod. Tell them the gospel message. Tell them we have great services and the gospel is being preached here at Grace. And maybe sometime when they're thinking about that message you gave them, at a really downtime in their life, they'll show up and they'll hear the gospel message and they'll come forward at the end of service and they'll have a feast at lunch. If I gave you a gift of a million dollars, you would be grateful to me for the rest of your life. Don't get so excited. I don't have a million dollars to give. My wife looks surprised. Like, Where do we get a million dollars to give away? That's wonderful if we have that. But God has given us so much more than that. Let's serve him with our whole hearts in return, everything we are. Third, in the midst of trouble and trial, go to the Lord for sustaining grace. Let other people in this room be the testimony that God's grace can get you through many things in your life. All the way to the end. You can appropriate it and rest in it, and it will give you the strength to carry on through those difficult times. Where do you find God's sustaining grace? I'll tell you where I find it. In God's word, in prayer, and in the community of of the people of God. This is a great place to find God's grace. It's even written on the sign out front, right? Grace community, that means we're a community of grace. We should be speaking about it, living it, loving it, sharing it in everything we do. Because it was so important to us that we put it on the sign out front. Grace Community Church. Remember, grace changes us daily for a lifetime. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and after prayer, you're dismissed. But if you have something that you need to talk to 
um, an elder, a deacon, their wife, a pastor about, please come forward and do that. They're here. They're going to be here as long as it takes to help you in your life. If you have not accepted God's free gift of grace, if you don't understand salvation, if you don't understand what I'm talking about when I say we're saved, then come forward and talk to someone about that this morning. Don't leave here with at le- with, without at least hearing about it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to serve you by preaching your word this morning. God, I pray that in all I've done that you have set me aside, God, that you have spoken through your Holy Spirit directly to the people in this room, that they're changed because of you this morning, that when they leave here, God, they will leave here in a deeper, more satisfying relationship with you, that their faith has grown, that they've understood grace just a little bit more. God, for those who don't know you, I pray that you would move in their hearts through your Holy Spirit, that you would get them out of their seats and move them to the front, that they would at least talk to somebody about this thing that they need to get right. For those things that hold us back, God, I pray that we would be able to lay or cast our burdens upon you. We love you, God. Amen.